0: All right. Well, good morning again, Fifty uh, Nine Street family. Welcome those of you who are joining us a little later as we continue in our sermon series, uh, Tales of Timeless Wisdom. Now, last week we, we talked about how growing in wisdom is literally the same as growing spiritually. And today I, I want to continue in the book of Proverbs, but what I want to take a look at today is actually the nature of wisdom. What exactly is wisdom? And why should we have it in our lives? How did wisdom all begin? And now these, I know these are very like kind of abstract, very philosophical questions, of course, um, but to help us kind of understand wisdom, I want to turn our direction to something completely unrelated to wisdom. I wanna talk a little bit about Apple, one of the greatest tech companies ever created. And like all rags-to-riches stories, Apple it all started out in a garage with three visionaries, uh, where they begin to give birth to an idea. So it was Steve Jobs, uh, Steve Wozniak, and Ronald Wayne. Uh, They all shared this common vision. They dreamed of creating technology that was not only functional, but something that was more importantly transformative, something that was intuitive, and most importantly, something that was user-centered. It was built and tailored just for the user. And for those of you who are are older, but you still use Apple products, um, you understand that although these devices are intrinsically very complex, there is a very intuitive design that makes them very functional, unlike other phones out there. And so these ideas of transformation, intuitive design, and user-centered experiences, this is what gave birth to Apple. And due to this innovation, Apple began to climb in the 70s and the 80s. It was one of the most sophisticated um, technology out there. It used cutting-edge technology at that time, but it also provided the users with a very elegant experience because, again, the whole thing was tailored to the user, much like a tailored suit or a tailored dress. But, unfortunately, things started to go downhill. In 1985, Steve Jobs, he was ousted out of his own company, and Apple began to kind of drift away from its core values. Whereas the company once led the technology world in innovation, the new Apple, without Steve Jobs, without this new innovation, its prized profits instead. And so their products began to multiply, some of their own products competed against each other, and the original voice, The original vision of Apple was completely gone, and it quickly looked like every other tech company in that era. And because of that deviation of their original philosophy, the consequence was pretty stark. Sales plummeted, Apple was no longer a major contender in the market, innovation literally died out, while bankruptcy was just around the corner. And it was in this dark period of Apple's history that they realized that they had lost their original core values. And if they want to get back on track, actually they understood that the, the only way to get back on track was to bring back Steve Jobs. And Steve's return, it wasn't just a change in leadership, but it was also a resurgence. It was the resurgence of a philosophy that Apple lost. And so with laser focus, right, Jobs, he began to, to return Apple back to its roots. He started something called the Think Different campaign, if you all remember that. And this campaign was based on Apple's original core value of being innovators. Apple's core DNA is all about challenging the status quo, innovating and placing the users as the center of every single product they create. And as a result, they gave birth first to the iPod while they were reworking their computer system. But as they dared to think different, as they dared to come back to their core values and innovate, they made something that would change the world forever. They created the very first touch screen phone, the iPhone. So no longer do we have to press buttons, but we could literally interact with technology with our very own fingertips. And so from the iPhone, we now have the iPad and the Apple Watch as well. And all of these wonderful things are created as a result of Apple returning back to the principles that started it all. They dare to dream big, they dare to innovate, but they also put in the effort to make it a reality. And despite how complex these machines are, they're really very elegant, they're still very simple. Um, they're so simple, in fact, maybe some of you guys might have experience with this, you, you, you see even toddlers who have yet to learn how to speak, interacting and navigating through these devices. That's how simple and intuitive these, these machines are. So as we turn our attention back to wisdom, we actually see something very similar. Since the beginning of the universe, wisdom has always existed. Wisdom is what God used to create the world in all of its complexities. However, when the world turns away from wisdom, much like how Apple turned away from Steve Jobs, this is where disasters occur. But if we apply ourselves, if we return back to wisdom, then not only will it make our lives whole, but it will actually completely transform us. And so I want to take a look today at at the passage from Proverbs chapter 8, uh, verses 22 to 36. And I encourage you, let's see if we can kind of pick up some of these themes um, as I read through it. So hear the word of the Lord today from Proverbs 8, 22 to 36. And it reads, the Lord brought me for, uh, sorry, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there was no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there. When he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, listen to my instruction, and be wise, do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me, find life, and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me, harm themselves, and all who hate me, love death. Powerful passage, one of my favorite passages from from Proverbs. Now, as, as a child, one of my, you know, since we're talking about space, one, one of my very first fascinations in this world uh, was with space. Um, I loved everything space-related. I still love everything space-related. I remember as a kid, I, would, my, I had this little, like, pamphlet that I would just read over and over again and just had all these random facts about planets, how many moons they had, and so on and so forth. Um, I was literally the only kid in my elementary school who would go to the school library and rent out books on space, and I would, I, since it was too complex for me to read, I, I would give it to my dad, and he would read it for me. Uh, my family, when they, you know, whenever we celebrated, you know, Chinese New Year or have family dinners, they would always ask me, like, "Oh, Brandon, what do you want to be when you grow up?" And without hesitation, you know, I told them, "I'm going to be an astronaut." So, my fascination with, with everything space-related has still stuck with me to this day, uh, but it wasn't until high school, it wasn't until high school and college that I really began to appreciate this universe, this world that we are in. I think I was one of the few students who, who actually enjoyed physics because it felt like I was studying or reading the blueprints of our universe, right, from various laws to constants that never change, like the speed of light that never changes, I began to uncover all the intricate details that made this universe possible. I often repeat this fact in in our youth group because it's true. Uh, But did you know, if you change any one, I know these numbers are a little bit small there, but if you change any one of those mathematical constants, just change one of the decimal places, by one number, right? Point zero 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 one. If you changed it, add it up, bring it down, if you change any one of those single numbers, the universe would no longer exist. And it's crazy, right? Before the Big Bang, all of these mathematical numbers, all of these laws had to be so precise. Otherwise, the universe would not have been created. If the gravitational constant was one number higher, then of course, The universe cannot expand, and nothing is created. And I think it's absolutely astounding how fine-tuned this universe is. It is so fine-tuned that certainly, I believe at least, this universe could not happen by chance alone. Surely, there must be an intelligent creator. And here, we actually see that message verses 22 to 23, we learn that before the creation of the universe, God used his wisdom as the tool to create it. That with his wisdom, he was able to create order, structure, and the very existence of our reality. And if you take a moment to think about what I'm saying here, it's actually quite profound. Because what I'm saying here is this, that wisdom is the foundation of all things created. Wisdom is the foundation of all things created. God's wisdom is the foundation of the stars above and the earth that we live in. God's wisdom is also the foundation of all things living, whether it's birds, trees, fish, but also our lives. We, as the image of God, are created with wisdom as our foundation. What this means for us practically is two things. First if God's wisdom is the foundation, the the quote-unquote DNA of all things created in the heavens or in the earth, then true wisdom can only be found in God alone. If this is true, then what this means is that human wisdom is just a copy. Human wisdom is just a painting of the original. Sometimes we're able to arrive at the truth, but more often than not, human wisdom ends up distorting God's original wisdom like a bad drawing. And that's why, unfortunately, there is sin in our lives and sin in this world. We have distorted God's wisdom, we have distorted God's truth. And so what then are we supposed to do? And this is where we arrive at the second practical application, where we have to develop a relationship with God and His wisdom. And I love what it says here in verse 30, especially in the ESV translation, which I think might be a more accurate rendering of the Hebrew. It says this, Then I, being wisdom, then I was beside him, being God. So wisdom is beside God, like a master workman. And I was his delight, rejoicing before him always. And what we see first and foremost is a unique relationship between God and wisdom. It's shown in this relationship that is filled with constant joy, filled with constant presence and constant delight. Wisdom is rejoicing with God, But from God's perspective, wisdom is also his daily delight. And what this means for us as believers is that this intimate bond between the creator and wisdom calls all of us, as his creation, as his children, to form a similar bond with him. Where every day we are spending time fostering this relationship, where God's word and God's wisdom become our daily delight, just as it is God's own daily delight. And as we do this, we begin to cultivate a relationship of constant joy and constant delight. But the only way for us to do this is by listening. After verses 30 to 31, where wisdom speaks about its joyful relationship with God, wisdom then calls out and says this. He says this, Now then, therefore, my children, listen to me. See, it is through listening that we begin to foster such a relationship with God. And it requires from us actually something called active listening, where we make a conscious effort to understand, internalize, but also to act out the insights that we gain. It requires our efforts, it requires intention. It's different from passive listening. The issue is we cannot sit idly, we cannot passively listen to a few words from our pastors, or we cannot idly just read the Bible and expect wisdom to fall on our laps. It requires intention. It requires us to internalize God's truth so that our hearts are always walking step by step with God's wisdom. Most importantly, it requires us to live out what we have learned. Just as God used his wisdom to create, we are also called to use God's wisdom to bring change to our lives and to those around us, to transform the chaos around us and bring order to it, just as God did at the start of the universe with his wisdom to transform the chaos, these watery depths, into dry ground. To give you an example of the difference between passive and active listening, I I want us to imagine that we're about to embark on a journey of mastering the art of playing the piano. Uh, Now, the first person, he immediately goes to Barnes & Noble, so this is the person to to your left here, This person goes immediately to Barnes & Noble or Amazon, they find all the books related to music theory and piano history, and they read these books cover to cover, memorizing all the various things there is to know about music theory, whether it's chord progressions, a circle fifth, so on and so forth. Anything there is to know about music theory, this person on the left knows. However, they have never actually played a single note on the piano in their entire life. Now, the second person, on the other hand, he finds, instead of all these books, he finds the most skilled piano instructor they can find. Every day, they follow this specific practice routine given to them by their piano teacher. And as they practice, of course, they make countless numbers of the mistakes, but they start to get better and better. And every week, as, as he meets up with his instructor, the instructor gives him feedback on what to change or how to improve. And during lesson time, the student watches intently with careful attention at the teacher's hands and says like, oh, so that's how I'm supposed to position my fingers. Oh, that's how I'm supposed to move my wrists. And when this person goes home, he begins to mimic what he sees his piano teacher do until this student gains complete mastery over their 10 fingers and the 88 keys on the keyboard. Now, the difference between these two approaches is very clear. The first person knows about music. They know about the piano. While the second person genuinely knows music and knows how to play the piano. You see, simply coming and listening to me does not make you wise. Simply reading the Bible does not make you a changed person. It's only when we internalize God and His Word and actively live those words out, can wisdom truly manifest itself in our lives. It's only when we look in Scripture and see how God acts and copy him in order to be more like him that we truly begin to know what wisdom actually is. Because this knowledge that we gain when we live out God's word, it's not head knowledge, but it's a knowledge gained through practice, a knowledge gained through life experience. How does God show us in his word what it means to be faithful? How does God show us in his word what it means to be forgiving? How does God show us in his word what it means to walk according to his will? When we ask ourselves these questions and receive the answer from scripture, we are called to apply it into our lives. And when we do that, then and only then will we truly know wisdom. And so as we begin to truly listen and apply God's words and wisdom in our lives, this is where something crazy begins to happen. We actually begin to experience true changes in our lives. But this change in our lives, it's not just in regards to our circumstances, but it actually points to a deeper life change we turn our attention to, to, the, to the last few verses here, we see wisdom telling us a little bit about this deeper life change, right? In verses 33 to 36, wisdom tells us this. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. And here's the key parts. For those who find me, find life. They Receive favor from the Lord but those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death." This passage doesn't mince words, right? It's very clear. Wisdom is life, and to reject wisdom is to embrace destruction. I think on the, on the surface level, most people would agree with this statement, that if we make wise decisions in life, it would, it would not lead us to ruin. But there is a far deeper meaning to this passage. For those of you who are more biblically or theologically astute, uh, maybe you might have made this connection instantly. Do you remember in the, in the beginning of our passage, right? it speaks about how wisdom was there before the world and how God used wisdom to create the entirety of the universe, or how God delighted in this wisdom. Let me read a couple of passages for us from scripture, and hopefully these puzzle pieces will begin to link together. These are all from the New Testament. Listen to this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's John chapter one. Here's another one. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossians chapter 1. One last one. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of the God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. It's also Hebrews chapter 1. This wisdom that we have been talking about this entire time is our Lord Jesus Christ. To find Christ and to surrender to Christ is the crown jewel of wisdom. There is nothing in this life that is wiser than a complete surrender to Christ. To give our free will back to God and to truly allow God to finally direct our lives, to find in God the freedom from sin and the freedom from foolishness, See, if Christ truly is this wisdom that we've been talking about this whole time, then the true depth of this verse can actually be found on this banner to our left. Christ as the ultimate source of wisdom is the only way, the highest truth, and the only source of life. No one can come to the Father except through Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, if you want to truly live a wise life, wise in the eyes of God and not in the eyes of humanity, then look to Christ and model your life after his. How does Jesus's life teach us what it means to love? How does Jesus's life teach us what it means to put literally put God first? How does Jesus's life teach us what it means to be selfless, to serve and to sacrifice ourselves? Brothers and sisters, If Christ is the way, then let us single-mindedly stay on this path. If Christ is the truth, as it says, then let us submit to it with all of our hearts. And if Christ is the only way to find true life, then let us cling on to him with every single fiber of our being. For as our passage in Proverbs tells us, those who fail to find me harm themselves, and all who hate me love death. So as we're about to enter into a time of prayer, I I want to encourage us to completely submit our lives to God. Unfortunately, there is no other way, or actually fortunately, there is no other way. The thing is, you have tried many ways, I have tried many ways, and all of that led to more brokenness. We were more broken than we first started. And so let us pray to give our lives completely to Christ knowing that not only is that the wisest decision we can make, but by submitting to Christ, we begin to allow that wisdom to saturate every fiber, every cell of our being. But let us also, more importantly, pray that we don't just let this wisdom saturate us, we don't just leave it inside, but as we let this wisdom you know, fill our entire being, we begin to live this life of wisdom out to use God's wisdom to create and recreate the world around us and the relationships that we are in, to use God's wisdom, that is Christ, to break the cycle of suffering and to bring life wherever we are. And if Christ is wisdom, then this message of wisdom is something that we ought to share with all. And so why don't we pray for that today? So brothers and sisters, join me, please, for a time of prayer. Holy Father, Lord, um, we just want to thank you that you have not left us alone in our own faulty understanding of this world. We thank you that you love us and that you have taught us through your Son what is wise and what is unwise. Father, you have given us the freedom for us to do whatever we want. But what is truly wise for us is to give that freedom back to you and to completely submit ourselves to Christ to allow Christ to literally live in us, to direct us and to act through us. Let us, Lord, simply be a vessel for you. Let our old selves die so that we can begin to truly live and so that you can also live in us and through us. Lord, we want nothing more, Father, than to enter into a relationship with you where we can hear from your lips one day that we will be your daily delight. Father, we love you and we praise you. Pray all this in your precious son's name. Amen.